Greetings in the name of Christ this morning. It's indeed a blessing to be back together with you all here. Just to be back in a home church is just to be good. You're wondering, has Pete not been there as well? Since I was here last, probably, home has been a suitcase pretty well. That's all it's been, and it's uh, been a very busy journey, And uh, but it's so good to be with people I love, with people we know, with people that we want to be together with. <clears throat> Children, I want to share with you a little bit this morning. And I will confess that I left I left at home what I was going to bring along. So you come back next Sunday, okay? Alright? I'm I'm gonna try to bring them along. I guess that's what happens when you become grandpas. You have this opportunity to forget things. But children, I'd like for you to imagine imagine that you were a, a young Jewish boy or a Hebrew boy, we should maybe say, or a Hebrew girl. And you were living in Egypt. And it was a country that you were really, you were not at home in. But that's the only country you knew. You and your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and so on had lived there about 400 years. And that's, that's the only country you knew, but always your people told you, your family told you this is not home. This is not home. This is not home. He says, but that's all I know. You know, last fall, no, not last fall, two falls ago, but a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to go back, to not to go back, I guess in a way it was back, to the country where my people came from before they came to America. Now today it's called Ukraine. At that time it was called Imperial Russia. I had never been there. My parents had never been there. My grandparents had never been there. My great-grandparents were born there, but left when they were children. They still would have remembered living there, but it was it would have been home to them when they were children. And then they came to America, to Canada. And I had a chance to go there. It looked very, very different than here or in Canada where we live some of the time. It, uh, they spoke a different language that I didn't understand. Um, and so on. And yet, you know, something, there was something very special. To me, it felt as if I had come home. I had come back to a place even though I had never been there. But I was at home. And children, I think, in some degree, just as a sideline, I think that's what's going to be like when we get to heaven. We've never been there. But we're home. Anyway, now imagine you were a Hebrew boy or girl living in Egypt in a, in a country that you were, but y'all always were told, this isn't home. This isn't home. And things were not very good, things were not, you weren't very happy there, your parents weren't very happy, they had to work very, very hard, because the Egyptian rulers were very cruel and unkind. 
and and you and your family and all these people were calling to God, God help us, help us out of this bad situation. Help us. And you're crying to God and all of a sudden a leader by the name of Moses comes around and he says, you know, God is going to help us. And this is what we're supposed to do. And then, instead of things getting better, things start getting worse. Because now all of a sudden there's all kinds of plagues. And the Egyptians make you Hebrew people work even harder. And they put on more pressure. And now your dad, your grandpas, they have to go and build more bricks, make more bricks. And they have to go gather their own straw in order to help build these bricks. So they are expected to make the same amount they used to, but with less help. And if they don't get their work done, then they're punished. It's just a very, very sad, very difficult, very difficult time. And so the people start wondering if this Moses fellow has been doing the wrong thing. And instead of helping us, it's just getting worse. And then plagues start coming and there's all kinds of very uncomfortable things happen. There's flies and there's other kinds of bugs and there's uh, boils and, and cattle die and there's water gets all bloody and things like that. Some things happen around you and many of the things happen only to the Egyptians. But it's just getting... Every time something gets bad, then the pharaoh, the king says, Yes, you can leave. Now, you can leave Egypt. Go. As soon as the things then get better, and he says, no, you can't. And it just gets worse. And you just hope and pray there's going to be no more plagues because it just gets worse every time. And finally, God speaks through Moses and through his brother Aaron, and then God says something very special. He says, now, there's going to be one more plague. One more very sad thing is going to happen. But it won't happen to you if you're going to do what I tell you to do. And then Mo, um, Pharaoh is going to let all of us go. This is going to be the last thing and it's going to be, it's going to be bad. It's going to be sad. But God's going to do this. But you have to do, you have to follow my directions. Do exactly what I tell you to do. And you'll be okay. And Moses tells all these people to do something very strange. They're supposed to take a lamb, and it's supposed to be a lamb that is perfect, a lamb that is not sick, a lamb that has no, no deformities in it, a lamb that looks just, just right. The best one. And maybe it was your pet lamb. Maybe it was your favorite. And you're supposed to keep it penned up for a certain amount of time. And on this certain day, you're supposed to kill that lamb. You're supposed to eat it. You're supposed to kill it and prepare it and eat it. A feast with all your family 
But before you start eating it, as once you've killed this lamb, you're supposed to do something very strange. You're supposed to take from the blood of that lamb, you're supposed to take with certain a hyssop, which is a certain plant, leaves, and you're supposed to dip that plant into the blood of that lamb, and you're supposed to go to the doorpost of the house on the side, and on the top, you're supposed to smear it with blood. We've never done that before. In fact, mom would wash that off. She wouldn't smear blood on there. But this is what you're supposed to do. Supposed to smear blood on the, on both sides and on the top. And then when you're going to have that feast with that lamb and there were supposed to be certain other things that they're supposed to eat, you're supposed to stay in the house. You don't go out. That night you don't go out. You don't go visit your friends. You don't, you stay at home with your family and you enjoy that meal together, but you stay in the house. Because God said, this is what's going to happen. That night, the angel of death is going to come and every house that doesn't have that blood smeared on the sides and on the top of the door, the angel of death is going to go into that house and the oldest firstborn, it's called, is going to die. Now imagine you were the firstborn. I'm, I'm a firstborn in my family. Imagine you were a child like that. You're just... And he says, you stay in the house. You stay in the house. Every house that has that bl- lamb, that blood smeared from the lamb on the doorpost, you'll be safe. You'll be fine. You're, you're okay. But if it isn't there, then the first one will die. And this angel of death is going to go through the whole country of Egypt. That's what's going to happen. The Bible tells us what happened. But just imagine you were a firstborn boy, girl. You were, and you'd sit in that house. You'd be eating from that lamb meat. Maybe it was your favorite lamb. You're going to wonder, am I safe? Am I okay? Probably wonder, did dad smear enough blood on there? Is that blood still there? Did somebody wash it off? Is it going to do it? Will it take care of it? Your parents probably tell you, don't worry, you're fine. You're okay. Just trust, just believe. We did what we were supposed to do and then God's going to take care of it. Don't worry. In fact, it doesn't help worrying, does it? 
You couldn't do anything more. It wouldn't help if you put your own blood on there. It wouldn't help if you would get blood from some other animal and put it on there. That wouldn't make a difference. Maybe even you wonder if you could check outside. Is it still there? I don't know if you'd sleep that night or not. I don't know. But you'd be fine. You'd be fine. You'd be okay. The Bible says, in the middle of the night, there was a huge wailing and crying going out in Egypt. Why? Because in many houses that were not Hebrew people, see, the Hebrew people obeyed. But most of the other people hadn't. The Egyptian people hadn't. And in those houses where people had not obeyed, the Bible says that the death angel went in there and the firstborn died. There was a huge wailing and weeping and crying. And then the Bible says that Pharaoh the king called Moses and Aaron. He says, now leave. Get out. Now. Don't even wait. Just move. And your parents had to gather everything up that they had. In fact, your mom maybe had, she was ready to bake bread in the morning. She had to take the dough just the way it was. And go. Leave. For home, a place you had never been. We're finally going home. Finally going home. That's what happened in Egypt one time long, long, long ago. And then God told the the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, uh, every year I want you to remember this happening. How God spared you, how God delivered you, that you could go back home. And God spared you from the angel of death with with the slaughtered lamb, the blood that was smeared on the doorpost. And you were safe. You were safe. And every year you're supposed to remember that this happened. And you they slaughtered another lamb. They didn't have to put the, the blood on the doorposts. They didn't have to do that anymore. Because the angel of death didn't come. But every year they'd have to slaughter a lamb. They'd have to eat this meal. And tell the story and remember what happened to them. You know what? And the Jewish people today still do that. They still do that. Thousands of years later. That's the most important celebration, the most important get-together that they have in their church, in their synagogue every year. They still do that. 
And when Jesus grew up, Jesus was used to doing things like that. He grew up as a boy, as a young man. And every year, they would go and they would celebrate the Passover. And they would remember again what God had done with the Hebrew people many, many, many years before. And they would remember with wonder and awe how God, the mighty God, had just powerfully delivered them, saved them from the the cruel Egyptian people in a miraculous way. They remember with, we remember with, with thankfulness that they could leave and go back to, to Israel. And that they were joyful. It was, it was a time of deep joy. Children, brothers and sisters, we're not remembering that occasion this morning. We are remembering the true of that picture this morning. Because that's what Jesus did. We too were in bondage of Egypt, spiritual Egypt. There was no getting out. There was no way out. It had to take a miraculous way of getting out. And the angel of death was was there. Was there. And God provided a way. He he gave a perfect lamb. A lamb that was it wasn't an animal. It was his only son. And when we have the blood of Jesus applied to our life, we're safe from the angel of death. And we're here this morning to remember with thankfulness, with wonder, and with joy what took place I'd like to read Psalm 116 this morning and go through this psalm somewhat you say it may not be related to communion so much but and I feel that there is there's elements of it that that reflect on it Psalm 116 which says that the psalmist professes his love to God the psalmist says this I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications because he hath inclined his ear unto me therefore will I call upon him as long as I live the sorrows of death come past me the pains of hell get hold upon me I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. 
The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, but He helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, All men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant, I am thy servant. The son of thy handmaid, thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. I'd like to first of all look at Jacob's trouble. Or David's trouble, I should say. We really don't know the occasion, at least I don't, of the writing of this song. We do know that David had many troubles. He had a lot of difficulties with Saul, who was after his life. He had difficulties with others that became his traitors and his enemies of one nation... Uh, nature or another. We know that David's life was, was pretty hard much of the time. He says in verse 3, The sorrows of death compassed me, the pains of hell got hold upon me, I found trouble and sorrow. He was, he was just, he was pressed in. 10 and 11. I believe, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said, all men are liars. It seems that some of his difficulties involved other people and how they related to him or that there was deceit or there was difficulty. Deep, deep trouble. And so are we. Our life by nature is troubled by sin. I was reading yesterday, I was studying. This is what, this is what our life outside of Christ is like. Ephesians chapter 2, but you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and of the mind, whereby nature the children of wrath, even as others. Dear ones, that's normal life for most people. The average person walking around the street in your town or, or your neighborhood, that's what they're like. That's their experience. Whether they realize it or not, that's where they're at. No wonder there's so much misery. That's what it's all about for most people. Lots of trouble. 
sin is very troubling. What did David, secondly, how did he respond to this trouble? David did the right thing. Verse 1 and 2, he says, Verse 1 and 2, I love the Lord because he had heard my voice and my supplications because he had inclined his ear unto me. Verse 4, I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. David David cried out to God as a deliverer. What do we do when we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3? When we found ourselves that way. The world, people out in sin, they, they find other ways of trying to somehow <coughs> deal with their mess. Either endure it or somehow find relief. David cried out to God. And Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are labor and heavy laden and are weary and all that. I'm going to give you rest. Come to me. I am the deliverer. He, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other helper but him. That's what David did. He turned to God. I cried to the Lord. He said, You deliver my soul. And that's what happened. God did deliver him. I don't know exactly how how God delivered David out of his situation. But the Bible says, verse 1, He heard my voice and my supplication. He inclined his ear unto me. God did not turn his back. God did not disregard him. Verse 6 to 8, he says, The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low. He helped me. Verse 7, he says, The Lord hath dealt bountifully with me. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, my feet from falling. God stepped in and provided a way. And verse 16, it says that, Thou hast loosed my bonds. Those things, those shackles or whatever had kept him in and tied him down in bondage. God delivered him. Freed him. That's what Jesus did to us. That's what Jesus did for us. Over in, back in Ephesians chapter 2 where I was reading earlier. says what we were like outside of Christ verse 4 but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved hath raised us up together made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ God made a way for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. 
and we could tell in detail the story of redemption we will not take a lot of that time but let's reflect just for a few moments Jesus came and lived among us because of the love of God he lived a perfect life because he was a perfect lamb the son of God and he lived in a life of world, in a world of trouble and difficulty. But he lived it as a perfect son of God, son of man. So that he could understand us and he could walk with us and identify with us. And at the appointed time, even though he had already suffered through a lot of life gone through all kinds of difficulties the appointed time came for this perfect lamb to do what he specifically came to this world to do to be the sacrifice to be the sin bearer for the whole world And his afflictions in particularly started sometime before the crucifixion. When first of all he was sold by one who was his trusted treasurer, supposedly trusted treasurer Judas. And finally the Pharisees and all that people that had such hatred for Jesus were able to take him because they wanted to get rid of him and through a whole series of unjust trials and judgments <coughs> condemned him to die in the midst of all one of his supposedly most loyal disciples betray, um, denies him several times Peter all the disciples abandoned him. And these soldiers, and instigated by the Pharisaical tribunal and so on, start abusing Christ physically. And he went through just a lot of pain and agony rejection, mockery, beating before he ever got taken to Calvary. Had to carry his own cross. Was condemned as a criminal and died among criminals as a perfect lamb. He didn't do this because he deserved it. He didn't do this because he had done anything that required this kind of treatment. He did this because it was the only way we, you and I could be free from sin's bondage. We may sometimes sing that song, Jesus signed my pardon so that we don't have to go. No, we could have all gone. It wouldn't have made a difference wouldn't have done anything Jesus had to do it because only what he did would be effective only what he did was effective
It was the only way that you and I could be free. It was the only key to freedom. Spiritual freedom. And Jesus went to Calvary. Suffered excruciating physical agony. Pain. Rejection. Mockery. A lot of emotional and mental agony. But a lot of spiritual as well because... Probably that's where the the whole spiritual forces, if ever there was a conflict between God and the enemy, that's that's where it was. Because if God didn't win this one, all would be lost. But Jesus could say it is finished it's done and now we have deliverance now we can go just like those people out of bondage the Hebrews in bondage in Egypt could leave That angel of death wouldn't touch them because their blood was there. They were safe. Dear ones, now we have that blood. And as long as we stay within the house, we too are safe. You can't go pour your own blood out on there and think that it's going to make any difference. It's going to help. No, it won't do a thing. The only means of justification that we have is Jesus Christ. So what happens to David once he realizes this deliverance? There's six ways in which he responds. I'd like to go through them quickly this morning. First of all, verse 1. I love the Lord. People are sometimes a little reserved in in saying that they love somebody. They may be a little cautious about that, some people. David was not at all ashamed or cautious to publicly just say, I love the Lord. In Psalm 18 he says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And David just goes on and on because, because of who God is. He just loves the Lord. Dear ones, this morning we're here because we love the Lord. Whether you are someone who is going to be just extrovert and just shout it out, or whether you're someone who it's just it's a deep, solid, settled joy of love in your heart. I love the Lord. Because of what he's done. We love him because he first loved us, we must always remember. 
God doesn't love us because we love Him. He loved us. And we in response love Him. The second thing, what does David, how does David respond to this deliverance? Numerous times he, he calls for prayer. Verse 2, Therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. Verse 13, I will call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 17 again, I will call upon the name of the Lord. What does it, I've, I've, been, I've been wrestling and thinking with, what does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? What is that? I don't know what it all entails. But for one thing I believe it is, it is, it is a commitment of God I'm dependent on you. And it's a commitment, there's a commitment and a loyalty. And I bank on the Lord, I trust in the Lord. It's acknowledgement of His sovereignty, of who God is. God is just someone that I will that that I endeavor to be close to. Call upon the Lord. We do know that the Lord does hear the cry of his children. And so this morning we're here to call on the Lord. To just be there to identify with Him because of what He has done. Thirdly, David worships. Verse 5, he talks about what God is like. Gracious is the Lord, righteous. Our God is merciful. Verse 7, it says, The Lord hath dealt bountifully with me. He preserves the simple in verse 6. We're here to magnify what what God is, what God is, who God is, what He's done, as we remember what Jesus has done for it, for us. As in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people would remember the power of God, the awesomeness, if you want to use that term, of God in delivering people out of Egypt's bondage. With a, and, and very often the Old Testament talks with, with a high hand, with a powerful hand. Dear ones, we've been delivered with a powerful hand. And our response is we worship. This is our God. Fourthly, and maybe this is more or less the theme, the text, verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I don't know in David's terms what that cup of salvation meant. I want to be understood correctly. We're going to share in emblems here this morning of bread and the cup. The cup that we're going to drink of, that is not, that literally is not salvation. 
but it symbolizes what Jesus has done in giving us salvation. That cup, so to speak, his body is like that cup. And the blood, the, the contents of that, his blood has saved us, has freed us. Jesus is the cup of salvation that we want to take. We're here this morning and as we, as we partake of these emblems, it's, it's done in, in a symbolic way. And we just remember that Jesus is the cup of our salvation. He is our Savior. Yes, we're not to take of it unworthily. We're not, we're to take of it carefully. But I sometimes think that that if we're not careful we can get so, so I can get so involved in examining myself instead of the Lord examining me that I forget the joy that this is supposed to represent and bring to me it's not just a matter of okay now I got to get things cleaned up yes that needs to be taken care of before we come here but really that should be on a daily basis, should it not? So that we can come here and just with joy remember what Jesus has done. We're free. We're free. We claim this as our salvation. We claim what Jesus has done as our salvation. We accept it. We put our trust in it. And we don't need to go and look, is the blood applied? It is. And if we are in the house, if we are part of Christ, we're safe. As long as we're there, we are safe. And we don't need to worry. As long as we stay there, as long as we stay within Christ, in His Word, in His will, we don't need to worry whether that blood is going to be efficient, sufficient, efficient. It will. It will. And we can remember with joy. I will take the cup of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. This is where our trust is. This is where our confidence is. This is where our joy lies. This is where our freedom lies. In what Jesus has done. Two more things quickly. I find throughout this song, several times, David makes promises. He makes commitments. I believe that that is a part of our gathering here this morning as well. We're not just here to reflect and remember and, and be joyful and, and yes, very much so. But along with that, we are here to say yes. We're here to do more than just say thank you. We're here to say yes. I am and I want to stay a part of this. In verse 9, David says, 
I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I will. Verse 14. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of his people. He says the same thing in verse 18. I will pay my vows. Verse 19. In the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. David says, where God's people are, that's where I am. That's where I want to be. And I am willing to, to be with God's people because they too have this same experience that I have. They too have this deliverance. I will pay my vows. I'm willing to make public promises and commitments in conjunction with my brothers, my sisters, and the Lord. Verse 16, I am thy servant, the son of thy handmaid. I am thy servant. And we're here this morning, not just to remember with gratitude and thankfulness, yes, very much so, but we're willing to also say, I want to stay a part of this. I want to be committed to this. I promise. If God's, if the blood of Jesus is sufficient and I stay within the house, I stay within the body, Christ's body, then we can make promises that we can keep. And then lastly, how does David respond? He responds with thankfulness and praise. Verse 17, he says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 19, it ends this psalm with praise ye the Lord. In Hebrews 13, 15, we are encouraged that we are to bring the sacrifice of praise continually to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. We're here this morning to remember. We're here this morning to say thank you. We're here this morning to say, I'm yours, Lord. That's what communion is all about. Yes, examination is important. But dear ones, that's not where we stop. We're here to remember with joy I will take the cup of salvation. Where it's suitable, let's kneel to pray.